Hello, welcome to Let's Talk Tottenham. The season is now over. We finished 7th, just behind West Ham, who picked us to the Europa League spot. Joined by a friend of mine, Mike Hare. He is a West Ham fan, but he's promised that all the mocking was done on WhatsApp before the podcast was recorded. So we're getting his views as a non-Spurs fan on how our season went. Was he surprised that we were so far down in complete contrast to his team who exceeded all expectations? What does he think on Jose's tenure? Was he surprised about the sacking six days before final? His thoughts on Kane, will he be there next season? Same with Bale and who our new manager will be. And also his thoughts on West Ham. Was he surprised at how their season went? Does he think a lack of fans helped them? Vice, absolutely superb. Does he think he'll stay next season? And what do you expect for next season? How, do, how does he think uh, they'll get on in Europe and in the Premier League next season with this expectation now probably uh, raised? So all that and much, much more on Let's Talk Tottenham and West Ham Season Review. Hi, Mike. How's things? I'm good, Chris. You? Yeah, not so bad. It's been a long time since we've spoken. Now we talk about West Ham finishing above Tottenham. What a wonderful way to uh, re-engage. But yeah, you must be... Whereas I'm uh, fairly cheesed off of football and happy that it's ending up and watch England, you're presumably the complete opposite. Yeah, mate, it's, uh, let's just say it's been a decent year for us. We've had uh, results that we never expected. We've had Moyes do stuff that we didn't thought he would do. And uh, yeah, being you know the second best team in London is <laughs> not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. Mike is a West Ham fan. Don't switch off, don't boo, it's, it's fine. He's done all the mocking to me, not to everyone else. Um, I mean, did, were you surprised how the two teams um, fared this season? So obviously we were expected to get into the top four, fell way short of that. I, I don't know what your expectations of West Ham were, but I, I thought you'd be in a relegation scrap. I, I thought you'd struggle. So what was your uh, thoughts on where Spurs would finish, West Ham would finish, and were you surprised that the eventual yep. finishing positions of both. All right, I'll start with Spurs. So, obviously, we're having Mourinho. You know, you always know that he's going to want to try and win things. But um, I just always felt it wasn't necessarily going to work for, for Tottenham in the way that they hoped in terms of being that kind of uh, pushing for the title because the way Spurs have played over the last few years isn't how Mourinho's ever kind of set his teams up, right? Um <clears throat> And, you know, he's a pragmatic, he's pragmatic, you know, and in the way he plays, he is a pragmatist at heart, right? And when you look at Tottenham, they've always been quite open, quite free-flowing, and he kind of reined that in. But what he did do, he did elevate uh, Kane to a different level. You know, he's made him much better in terms of his overall contributions. He's still a dirty bastard with his uh, backing up and then people flying over the top. But, you know, that, that, that's, that's Kane. <laughs> but players do that as well, to be fair, I would point out. They do, but... He's the one who's mainly dropped people nearly on their heads. But anyway, that's my one grab about Kane. That's my one dig at Tottenham, I'll have. But um, essentially, yeah, like... <laughs> yeah, you know, you, are, you would have expected Tottenham to be there and thereabouts, right, with the top four. I don't think they was ever going to win the title. You just have to look at City and Liverpool. You pretty much would have had them two nailed on to fight out for the league again. But obviously, we know what happened with Liverpool. And, you know, that's, that's where it went. But then when it comes to us, I think if you'd have said to any West Ham fan, you can finish 10th next season, have a relatively pain-free season for once, we'd have snapped your arms off. But then what we got was beyond our wildest dreams. You know, we're in and around fourth for 
a long time in the Premier League. Um, none of us thought we'd sustain it, but West Ham being West Ham, whilst we're there, we're going to enjoy it. So, yeah, we were a bit loud. We were a bit obnoxious about it, but we earned it. We earned that right to do that because we were playing some good stuff. We were winning games and we were in a position that we never thought we'd be in. So, you know, we were just enjoying the moment and even finishing sixth. It's tinged with a slight bit of disappointment when you look at if we'd have beat Everton or we'd beat Newcastle, we would have been in that top four. But, you know, finish sixth after finishing where we were last year and how we played last year, you know, you've got to tip your hat to Moyes' staff and the players because it's been a phenomenal season, really. Where were you expecting to finish at the start of the season? Were you expecting a relegation battle, a mid-table finish? I think we'd think would have been all right. I don't think we'd have been in a relegation battle. I think we had enough about us to, to stay away from it. Um, our concern was always, if we had injuries, I think, we, yeah, we might have been, you know, might have been around that relegation bit because, you know, when you look at the spine of our team, Antonio, Rice, Suchek as well, then you had Bonner and and uh, Fabianski, if any one of them or two of them were out at the same time for a prolonged period, you know, we would have dipped based on how we were last year. And we would have probably assumed, look, we're going to be in a relegation battle if one of those guys are not kind of there. And we did look at the start of the season thinking we haven't prepared right, we haven't got the right players in. And, you know, we probably would have taken 12th, in all honesty, because that would have been quite a nice season. But it's just... Yeah, it's been an odd, odd, crazy season, isn't it? Yeah. Are, are, are you annoyed slightly you didn't get fourth, you couldn't hang on, or, or is it still, <sighs> you know, little, little gripes like that? I mean, we've got sixth, but yeah. sixth, isn't it? You're in the Europa League. You still yeah, I think finishing sixth, you know, it, it's tinged with a tiny bit of disappointment. It's a bit of a, you know, oh, what if? Uh, you know, there's a couple of games earlier in the season that had we got a result, we, you know, we would have been in a better position. But ultimately, we run out of steam, right? You know, we've got a really small team. And when we got the injuries to Rice, we got the injury to Antonio right at the same time. You could just see the team was tired at that point. And, you know, missing out on points against Newcastle by losing that game, you know, had we won that, that would have been the game that would have got us Champions League. Same with Everton when we had that game. If we'd have won that game rather than losing, would have been there. So it's tinged with a tiny bit of disappointment that had we won one of those games, we would have been there. But... Is the argument of there are 37 other games where, you know, <laughs> we, we can be getting points. And, you know, we got a lot of points throughout the season. Had we got one of them in one of those games where maybe we draw, we turned a draw into a win, you know, and then you know, a loss into a draw, then it might be a different season. But I don't think any West Ham really can be sitting there saying, you know what, I'm annoyed we didn't get fourth because, in all honesty, at the start of the season, none of us expect us to be there. And, and by rights, we probably didn't have the right to think we'd be fourth. But, you know, based on how we played over the course of the season, we did earn that right. And I yeah. think that's the important thing. We earned the right to be in that position. Yeah. I mean, I mean, fans mocking and all that and getting on, but, you know, if you don't want it, then be better. It's fine. But, you know, because, yeah. you know, Spurs fans go, oh, West Ham fans mocking me. But Spurs fans are just as bloody bad. But, Exactly. You know, it's how that's football, right? You know, even when you say people are not rivals, you still get annoyed when they beat you. You still get annoyed if you're not picking up points or if they're doing better. It's a bit of human nature, isn't it? If someone's doing better than you are, you don't like it. <laughs> so you want a bit more. Yeah, I, I think there were for each team there was a turning point game. 
you may disagree. For you, I think it was a three all against us. I think it yeah. just showed that we can be out of a game and then still get something out of it. For us, we were top of the league. You know, I was stupid on here. You you know me. You know how, like, well, I'll never bet on Tottenham. It's bad luck. Yeah. I was on here to talk about bloody stadium tours and open top bus parades. But, <laughs> but I think our, our turning point was that Anfield game when we had that one and yeah. ended up losing. And, and that kind of led to our decline where the, the three all for you, I think, led to your belief, like, rising up. I mean, yeah, obviously, I think Ingard coming in has given you another boost as well. But before that, I think those two were turning. But would you agree with those? Or, or yeah, I think like when you when you watch when you watch that game, you know we we come off a couple of good results. We was in that difficult period where we had a lot of kind of tough games, and it was are we going to pick up points or not? Because is that that kind of stage of the season where it was going to go one of two ways, right? We was either going to start getting the results and keep moving up the lead and keep keep ourselves going or we was going to come into a sticky patch and when it was 3-0 down at that period you're like oh, this is going to be a tough game to w- carry on watching and then it was odd because even when we scored the first goal we didn't really necessarily believe we was going to come back but then once we kept going you started to think well maybe something's going to happen then Gareth Bell missed that shot yeah. you know Yarmolenko has pretty much done nothing all season but the best thing he did was pretty much give Gareth Bell that tiny little push that put him off balance that in itself has probably put us sip, right? <laughs> He's done nothing all season, but that tiny little push on Kane. <laughs> Sorry, I'm back. Us, though, was the, the way the manager that we had, Mourinho, is always a take lead and sit back. If, if we had Pochettino there and it was the, the good Pochettino, not towards the end, you, you wouldn't have... Uh, you might have no, got a goal, but you... you but, well, I think as well in that, in that game, is once we got that goal, your defence looked worried. And that was the thing, is that... We, we, in the end, played with absolutely zero fear, right? We were 3-0 down. And then once we got a goal, it was, again, it was still, well, what, let's just have a go. And we did. We completely went for it. Your team, you know, we, look at Davison was just, yeah, Davison Sanchez had an absolute mare on that game, and especially towards the end. Um, yeah. And then, obviously, Lanzini just, that was just a one in, like, 1.0.1 whatever percentage chance of ever scoring. And he's just levered it, and he's hit it so clean and so true you know lorries didn't have a chance and the fact that it went in and now the funny part is obviously that all the mocking that was going on on twitter from obviously both sets of fans with a lot of you know tottenham fans mocking west ham for oh look at the way they're celebrating that last minute uh equalizer like they won the league but ultimately now how important that point was for us yeah. in relation to our final finish and what it was to tottenham like i think that was one of those points where it maybe made some of your defenders and some of your team think that, you know, when we're really under pressure, can we take it? And then obviously in other games, that's been the case. You know, you, you've looked comfortable and then your defence just starts to crumble. When there's a real bit of pressure coming and there's some waves of attacks, it just falls in on itself. You know, Eric Dyer is a decent player, but he's not, he's not true quality and, him and Davison Sanchez, you've got two rudderless and leaderless defenders trying to lead a, a charge to top four, and it's just not going to work. No. Well, p- people say we need a complete new back four. I kind of disagree. I think we just need a commanding centre-back because then he'll he'll sort that defence out in terms of... Y- you need a commanding centre-back, I think, to say, it's my line, you're following me, I'm deciding where the line is, you follow me. I mean, when you've got Orvio who seems to go mad 
have a mad moment, it doesn't help. But I don't think the mid, the defence is necessarily the problem. Obviously, yeah. I, I think it's a cumulative effect of the pressure that gets put on. I mean, the West Ham game was was obviously terrible, three 0 up. But I think under Pochettino, when you had Eriksson and Dembele, who I think is one of the most underrated players we've had, when when we conceded a goal. Those two got on the ball and the other team didn't have it for five minutes. So so that kind of... It's exactly the same in the Champions League semi-final against Ajax. We score one goal. Two minutes later, we, we score another. You, you need to settle the game down and, and stop that momentum. And generally, yep. nine times out of ten with Eriksson and Dembele, that's what happened. They kept the ball. The momentum kind of stopped. Whereas West Ham and so many other times this season, the momentum has just carried on because we've got no one to keep the ball, and we yeah, just and, I, it it out, and then it just comes back uh, from yeah, a team you... who are on the up. And I, I think a, a midfield, someone to keep the ball, someone to replace Ericsson is is in some ways bigger for us than uh, a defence. And, and that, that was your, your biggest mistake was getting rid of Ericsson. And then not replacing him, yeah, or I, I you thought you'd replace him with someone like Lacelso, but it's not the same player, really. And Lacelso's only really had one true season where he was a goal scorer and having assists galore, and that was that season which meant that you bought him you know, from Betty. So it's that's often the problem buying players with the back of one good season. Sometimes it, it, they kind of they have a purple patch, right? And when you're buying players in purple patches, you, you're not necessarily going to get the player you really need and want. And I think you hit the nail on the head in that it's not necessarily the defence that's massively the issue. It's those in front as well. You know, you, you defend it and you attack as a team. And if you've got weak points in your back four, now it doesn't help if your central pairing are weak <laughs> as a combination because, you know, if you've got a bit of a striker who doesn't mind bullying and kind of taking the ball in behind, then they, they're going to start to kind of crumble a bit. But if you feel then can't hold the ball when they don't have it to take that pressure off them, it just exacerbates the problem. I think that's been Spurs' thing. It's too many players haven't played good enough. You know, you've had Ndobile, who should have been phenomenal for you. You know, true engine, big player. And it just hasn't clicked. And it certainly didn't click under Mourinho. And I think that's a massive point of why you struggle. Because you, like you say, you've not had players who can shut down count Shot, sorry, shut games down and then control the possession and take the, the kind of pace out of it. And the fact that one player you've had doing that is the player you don't want doing it, which is Kane, because he's dropping back to try and control yeah. the game. But on the outside, he's got you loads of assists because he's 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 augmented his game to suit what essentially some of your frailties you've had this year. Yeah, I, I think though if we could get a playmaker in, and people who keep listening to this podcast are going, "Oh my God, he's going on about a playmaker again," but I, 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 I just feel it's that important because with the defence, they're constantly under pressure, and even the best defences under constant, constant pressure will crack. And you know, you get Kane coming deep, creating assists. If you've got a playmaker slightly deeper than him as well, well then you've got two of them. And Lacelso is a driver, like gets the ball, runs with it. He's just Similar to Undombele, he's just half as strong. Undombele, I think, could control a game. He needs someone else in there with him. The, the Chelsea game at home when we lost 1-0, he beat Mason Mount three times in a row because they and looked up every time. There was no one there. Just yeah. absolutely crazy. But, I mean, that's our midfield, which can't keep a ball. But your midfield, Noble, he's kind of on his way out, getting a bit old now, a big player for you. And one player who 
I certainly thought when he came through was like, is he just going to be another one of these? You know who I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. Is he going to be one of these uh, players who has a good season and then just dies out? But Declan Rice has been immense for you. Yeah, it's you know he uh, he's deemed as overrated by many fans. Me included. Well, not overrated. It was a it was a like Kane was at the start. Is he going to be a one season wonder? But yeah, he's been. Yeah, I think and fully deserves yeah. his England call up that he got today. And it's the thing is, it was quite easy to actually, I think, say that, you know, I love Noble, but he is on the decline now. And, you know, we we as West Ham fans, we'd always talk about how brilliant he was even last year. And fans were like, well, he's not really doing that much. And it's like, when you really bowled it down, he was doing the work almost for two players, you know, because Noble could go one way, but then he couldn't necessarily get himself back to go in the other way, which then meant Rice was having to do double the covering. So he had to kind of play more within himself in terms of, you know, distribution and so on. And then you look at this year where, you know, people are probably going to laugh, but we did have, and we do have, one of the best midfield partnerships in the Premier League. Mm. You know, Suchek and Rice have been brilliant. They're not really going to create chances. They're not necessarily going to, I was going to say not score, but that, that's a lie and that's a fallacy if you look <laughs> at this year. But, you know, they're not going to pass pass teams to death and they're not going to, you know, take the ball and dribble around everyone. But what they're going to do is they're going to sit in there. They're going to make these little tackles. They're going to kind of control that middle area. They're going to get the ball and pass it on to the other players. And what Bryce has done this year as well is he's added more dynamic passing to his, to his game. And the way he now moves the ball, he will take the ball and he will drive forward a bit, which has caused a couple of problems for teams because... He's a big, strong lad. And when he does get going, he's quite hard to get off the ball. And uh, this year, it's those two in front of our defence have been absolutely immense because they've just created this shield. And even games when they don't necessarily look like they're doing very much, they're incredible. Like, Suchek has covered the most ground of any player in the Premier League this year. You know, he's covering nearly 12, I think it's like 12K in some games. It's a phenomenal number for a player in a game. Yeah. You know, and also he's scoring goals as well. And the whole Fellaini kind of point is the most infuriating thing because he's the furthest thing from Fellaini. The only thing he does is he scores with his head and he's tall. But other than that, he's he's a much better technical player than Fellaini ever was. Mm-hmm. But it's an easy comparison because it's David Moyes and he's a big lad and he gets his head on the ball. <laughs> so you, You've got a spine throughout the team now which we had and we've lost. So you've got like Fabianski, Dawson, I'd say. I don't know you, Adam, but Ben, that's terrible. Uh, so Ogbonna is probably he's like, he's the main main one, really, you'd probably say. Dawson, to be fair to him, you know, a lot of us didn't want him at the start of the year. I was one of them. But, you know, he's he's done really well and he's, he's earned his chance to to come back to, to Premier League and he's earned his contract at the club as well. So, you know, he has been a kind of an ever-present but probably Ogbonna I would say if you was looking at the actual genuine spine of what we would have said start of the season, you'd probably say Ogbonna first, and then obviously you know Rice and then Antonio up at the top. Suchek as well, like with that midfield, it's it's it's, it's almost like Rice is uh, you go forward, I've got this sitting yep. back, which we had when when we had in pot premium potch era, we had Lobbies, Matongan and Alderville, take your pick or one of them. Uh, Dembele, Eriksson, Kane, and, and you know Dembele was there with uh, uh, either Dyer and then the next season Wanyama, and it was literally like we've got this. The full backs can go forward, Dyer can drop back, and then the front four can go and 
do what they want. But then we had two players there who would keep the ball, which is what yep. we don't have now, which you you have, even though do you have most possession in games or do you have least? No, I mean, we were, uh, we're quite you know, we can be quite passive really. You know, we, we tend to sit deep and wait for teams to come on to us. But then it's odd because in some games we will press, we'll press quite well. But a majority of the time it's we what we're trying to get back into shape first and then try and be compact. So sometimes and you when you look at the goals we've conceded, we tend to concede in, in you know the wide areas. So because we tend to concede out wide. Now, it's not we don't concede from kind of lofted passes in or you know kind of crosses, but anything that's kind of low and cut back, we tend to sometimes struggle with, especially when we played uh, you know kind of at three and a, a two when we first kind of uh, started the season. But um yeah, it's it's interesting really because we don't necessarily always have possession. So when we've played against teams where we've had it sometimes struggle to break them down because we've been kind of quite geared to be a bit pragmatic in our approach and we'll say defensive because we haven't been defensive because we've been scoring quite a few goals in games we've been very pragmatic in our approach as to let's get in shape let's hold our position and then let's press when we have the right time to press and then we'll break out from from you know our structure yeah, obviously that that's a building thing and takes time. Pochettino took about a season and a half to really get our pressing game in. Do you, do you think the lack of fans has helped Moyes with that? Because I, I think <laughs> certainly last season your fans I think were booing them quite a bit. Obviously you were down the bottom, so that's going to happen. But yeah, this, I think it's given him the freedom to right. Okay, we're going to play this way. It may not be the most attacking way, yeah. but there's no one to boo us. We can get on with our jobs, and there's no pressure that way. And then you've. Uh, the I think the key word there is pressure, right? I don't think it's necessarily pressure from fans. Now, obviously, we had a torrid time last year and some players really weren't putting their weight and we were struggling. So, you know, as people who, you know, were essentially going there to watch that product, we had our right to vent our displeasure. As, you know, you have the right to when your team's playing well, you, you get behind. This is a thing, there's a popular misconception that West Ham fans are uh, delusional or they are unrealistic but what it ignores is the fact that we were promised certain things to go where we went you know we left our spiritual home to go to a stadium which is essentially an Olympic stadium right look at Tottenham you were told you're going to go and have this magnificent stadium built on your old ground they, they fulfilled that promise we were told we're going to a brilliant stadium which is going to be world class and it's going to be built for a football it wasn't. And it still doesn't feel like West Ham when we're there. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of part of the negativity there. And also we have a ball that we don't like. So all of that comes in. So once you start to play badly, once you start to think of all the promises that you were given and which to move, and you're seeing, like, we're told that we're going to be trying to compete with, say, Tottenham and so on, who had been doing really well. And then you see where you are. It's like, well, we're not. So why did we ever leave? So, you know, so that's that, you constantly have that wrench, right? But, and I think this season when it's not necessarily because the fans weren't there, because if the fact, truth of the matter is, based on how we played this season, you probably wouldn't have had a more kind of in-your-face crowd for away teams coming to, to a stadium than this year. Because when we're playing well, we're quite a horrible crowd, let's face it. You know, Upton Park was known for being not a nice place to go to, if you were a away team and London stadium, again, sorry to pick on Tottenham, but you know, the year you were going for the title, the one nil game where Lanzini scored, 
that stadium was absolutely rocking. You couldn't, you couldn't even, t- I couldn't talk to the person next to me. It was so loud. And we've had games like that. No one's there, it was like five metres away. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> 20 metres, 20 metres if you're on the side, yeah. Uh, but like, it's, uh, it's not necessarily the fans. I just think as well, there's certain players where not having fans, it's been a great equaliser for a lot of football this year. Because all of a sudden, it's just 11 versus 11. There's no pressure to win. There's no pressure to lose other than the people you have in the crowd is, is you know, essentially the coaching team and, and the subs, you know. So you're, you're not getting that. If you make a bad pass, you're not getting groans. And I think that some players absolutely thrive on that pressure and that demand for excellence. And other players haven't. You know, there's a period where Mo Salah this year wasn't playing very well. And it seemed all because of, well, because there's not, without the crowd there, he doesn't seem to get, get himself going as much. And obviously you can see with Liverpool, they struggled really quite a lot this year, especially at Anfield. You know, to lose as many games they did at Anfield is absolutely unprecedented. And you would probably suggest that that is because of the crowd. But that's not talked about because it doesn't get, say, people calling into talk sport. Mm-hmm. You say West Ham, on the other hand, who had 10,000 fans turn up to protest their board prior to COVID it gets a reaction because all of a sudden it's, well, let's vilify these fans. The same has happened to Newcastle over the years. It's been vilified because they don't like the board. You know, it's about protecting those money men as opposed to, you know, actually trying to find out at the heart of why fans, maybe even boo their team, why fans expect more. And it's a quite an easy, lazy argument to say, fans are not in the stadium, team's doing well. That's the reason. It's just, it doesn't take into any other nuances. It doesn't take into the account to, well, how do the players feel playing? You know, do they feel, play, feel like they have no pressure not in these stadiums? You know, it's, again, the other players, do they thrive under this pressure? It's, it's just a really basic argument to something that has so many nuances. And it's, uh, it's not necessarily fair on West Ham fans to kind of just say that they're not there, they're doing well. That, that, that's the reason. I, I didn't mean it like that, but yeah, I, I definitely think no fans has helped Mourinho play the way that he wanted to play because we would have voiced our opinion if we were losing leads every five minutes. But uh, you mentioned the board there. I want to get into that. You, two different teams here, but we both have something in common. We don't like our boards. But I put it to you that our chairman is worse, and this is why. Because... <laughs> I'll hear you out. I'll hear you out before before I start laughing. I will. I will hear you out. Go on. I'll let you know when I play my trump card. But we we basically got two two chairmen there. Like I don't know too much about what you were promised, but he, they have uh, you know paid for some players like Suchek and Lingard and whatever. So it, 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 if if fans are saying that uh, they haven't invested anything, I would say that's that's not true. Whether they've invested what they should have done is beside the point. But. Levy gets told he hasn't invested anything, whereas he's bought Undombele, La Celso and all of it. The problem is he hasn't invested in what the manager wanted. Pochettino wanted Mane. We got Unji or Unkudu. Don't even know who they are. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, Wijnaldum, we got Sissoko. But he has invested, but not in the way that they should have done. Now, here's my trump card. What West Ham do only affects West Ham. With Levy trying to sign up to the ESL, that's affected potentially the whole of English football. So it's fair enough he wants to, you know, chairman want to uh, piss off their own fans, but we potentially, with Levy, 
killed English football. So I would say the greed there, and I would say as well that probably most chairmen would have said, oh, do you want to be in the Super League and get a load of money? Yes, please. But obviously, so they could just be as bad because your owners could have literally been in the other shoes. But that's my trump card, so we have the worst. It's a good good trump card. Because I was never levy out, and then the ESL happened. It's like, get him out. I, I don't want him there. That, that's what tipped me yeah. over. But, yeah. I, it, I it's a good, that, a good so. trump card, Chris. But, um, you know, strap in, mate. It's about to get a bit, about to get a bit <laughs> here, right? So, you know, you say uh, the board have invested. That, that's a fair point. And, in fact, I think as West Ham fans, we, we tend to say they don't invest. It's not technically right. The, the problem is... They invest, but they invest poorly. And to your point around not getting what the manager wants, your board, and in fact Levy, has not been accused by another club owner to be parasites, to be liars, and to be making absolute falsehoods. To the point of... Ferguson did say about Levy, he'd never do any business with him again because he's an absolute horrible person, but yeah. yeah. Everyone has said that Levy is a horrible negotiator. Now, that in itself is a positive for Tottenham because that means he gets what Tottenham need. He doesn't just take... I know you're going to pull a face, but let's face it, you didn't sell Modric until he thought that you should sell Modric. You didn't sell Bell until you should sell Bell. Now, however they use that money wisely is, is another, another question, but the fact is he did what was right for Tottenham. West Ham, on the other hand. I think in selling, he does. It's in buying. We had Grealish for 25 million. He refused to pay 22, more than 22. Something similar with Fernandez. So I, yeah, I, I agree with you with the selling. He gets his money. He's, he's a ridiculous negotiator. His negotiation tactic sometimes is at the detriment to, to Tottenham. Yeah. But, as, as, but the fact is, he's looking at it from a business perspective, right? So if we just take the kind of fans kind of piece out of it, He's doing right by your club by trying to negotiate the, the, the smallest deal. He's not. He's ultimately then not done right for you because he's failed to get it over the line. But regardless, if you broil it down, he tried to get you the best possible deal he could and then thought within the margins of what you have, that deal was didn't fit. So he's done He's done right, whether it's right or wrong. But you mentioned about, you know, how we have done, you know, we've had Big Sam went on TalkSport, talked about David Sullivan offering gifts or giving him gifts players would turn up at the training ground who had been signed by David, David Sullivan without the manager even knowing. So that's even worse than Levy. You also talk about, uh, you know, your board not really doing much. We have a training ground, which basically we bought off a non-league team. We've invested six million into it and essentially a port cabins. <laughs> like, you know, they, say, they, they quite went on, you know, boulders brass. We've invested 10 million into training facilities at West Ham. Well, Chadwell Heath was about six million investment, and that's to use for the youth team. We've done about five at the very most at Rush Green, which is for the first team, and that's the Porter Cabins. Uh, our illustrious David Sullivan also used the club to avoid 600k worth of tax payments. So you start when you start to say that, you know, our levy's terrible. Yeah, he did the ELS, terrible thing. Could have tore the fabric of the Premier League and English football, but football would have survived. We look at West Ham and it's, we've had them take out loans on the club. They've, given, they've invested their own money, and I say invested, inverted commas, invested their own money into the club in which to supplement uh, debt. Other clubs, even Mike Ashley, as poor as Mike Ashley is, has never taken interest on any of the money he's lent to the club. 
our guys, they did that. They put a 7% interest on it. When the fans were up in arms, when they kept saying, we don't have any monies, it's like, well, you're charging 7% interest in all of it. They then dropped that down. They said they don't take a wage. They've taken about nearly 30 million quid out of the club. They've put it back in since COVID. But it's all of these falsehoods. You know, we're not going to leave Upton Park unless the pitch, uh, the, you know, the stadium is as close to the pitch as it is here. I'm sorry. We're not going to leave Upton Park unless when we go to London Stadium, the stand comes as close as it is at Upton Park. Yeah, it didn't materialise. It's constant. They make points and they don't follow through. The one that a lot of West Ham fans do, and we never really kind of expected it, but we wanted it to. You know, we just come off the back of the season of, you know, where Payet was brilliant, farewell Bolin, and, you know, we're in a state of euphoria because we think looked good. And we looked like we were going in the right direction. We're getting told we're going to have a world-class team and a world-class stadium. What did we get the next season? We got Simone Zaza, got Figuli on a, on a free, Harvard Norvelt on a free, Arbaloa played two games, falling out with Bilic and then got his contract signed off. You know, and it's just like, they make these grandiose claims, but they can never back it up. And we're just constantly sit there in a mire. You know, we, we have a team that is decimated by constantly going out and buying players, but they're not the right players. We have one scout. So when you start to say that Levy's done all these terrible things, you're still a well-run club. Mm. You've just done a really bad thing. West Ham are not a well-run club and any success happens to be by chance rather than actual design. So as a fan, you're sitting again, you have one role and that's to do right by your club and to try and get the most success. Levy did a bad thing, but Levy also did the thing of, I need to get money into this club. Now I hate ELS and I think every club that went into ELS should be fined, should be given points deductions, but if you really take any emotion out of it, look at it from a business perspective, he's got my club's a billion in debt or over a billion. I think you're like 1.3 billion in debt or something. And he said, this league's going to give me, I get to stay in the Premier League, take all that Premier League money, but I get an extra 350 million that I can put to facilities. Mm. And that's before there's even the other payments. From a business perspective, you sit there and go, well, who isn't going to do that? Yeah. So... It's kind of, it's hard, you know, because people say, you know, my clubs run worse than your club. But there are some clubs that genuinely, when you really actually look at it, are run terribly. You know, even Newcastle, as bad as they are, looked at as a, from the fans' perspective, actually does right by the team, by the club's accounts. Doesn't do right by Newcastle or the fans, really, to give them a team that's going to go and compete and do what Newcastle should do, because Newcastle are a massive team. But from a purely unemotional standpoint, he does right by that club's finances. Levy tried to do right by your finances, tore at the, fa- tore at the fabric of English football, <laughs> um, but ultimately did right, where what we've seen is they've tried to do right. And you'll see loads of West Ham fans, whenever you look at when you talk about Gold, Sullivan and Brady, you always see these inverted commas and people saying, we tried and people just laughing because that just seems to be our mantra. It's always, we tried to sign this player. We couldn't get it done. We tried to do this, but it just wasn't possible. You know, they made a 10 point pledge to us. And then when they haven't met that pledge, it was, well, it was hopeful. Don't make the pledge. If you can't follow through, don't make the pledge because fans will hold you to it. And fans have, and that's why, 
there is such a thing of why West Ham fans hate our, you know, our owners. We love our club. We support our club. You know, we will constantly say, support the team, hate the regime. And that is the truth. You know, Tottenham have a right, rightful gripe with Levy because what he did was wrong. You know, and so same with all those ELS teams. And it's like, you're trying to control the market and trying to control the money because you've had a taste of it. And you're trying to stop the likes of Leicester from breaking in and taking that. Trying to stop the chances of West Ham having a season like we have had. Same with like, you know, the kings of the expected goals, Brighton. You know, had they had a striker, (laughs) (laughs) they they could have been, they may have actually been in the top 10. It may be in the top eight. That's exactly what they played brilliant stuff. That's exactly, exactly. Yeah. why he thinks Potter would be good for us. But yeah, I mean, I agree. We've got the worst chairman thing. <laughs> 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 it, it, it's very difficult because obviously I only see what you tweet. I don't know all of the promises and everything like that in, in the same way that you don't see all that Levy's done. But, but that could be a conversation for another day. But yeah, uh, in terms of the football, uh, Lingard, uh, him and Moyes, do you think they've proved quite a lot of people wrong? Moyes, I think his 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 reputation took an absolute battering when he went to United, but you know, anyone could have gone into that job after Ferguson and struggled. And Lingard was a kind of peripheral figure at United. And do, do you think yeah. they've proved uh, people wrong? And Lingard's in the England squad, isn't he? Yeah, he's just been called out to provisional squad. It's funny because you know, the start of this season. Again, I was one who was kind of thinking that if there was a chance to go elsewhere, I would probably take it because there are, I think with every manager, right? You you either love them, you hate them, or you still love them, but, you know, you just want them to change. <laughs> you just want certain things. Living with Moyes is always that kind of thing. Is He's a bit Marmite. And, you know, at the start of the season, it was kind of, well, maybe we could find someone who's going to make us a little bit more expansive and just maybe still keep us kind of slightly shored up, but, you know, maybe do some stuff because, you know, we did have gripes around when he makes subs and some of his tactics sometimes were questionable in in certain games. And, you know, at the start of the season, he also didn't get backed. Again, you're thinking, is that the board? Is that his choices? So it was all a bit, you know, that there was an air of this could go either way. And again, with Moyes, because he hadn't really been able to, since United, he hasn't really been able to kind of come back from that with any club. It's always been a struggle. It's always been always been terrible. And then, you know, over the course of the season, whilst he has been very pragmatic and in some games probably shown a little bit too much respect to some of the bigger teams, ultimately, he's got it right. You know, even when we sat there with Moan saying, make a sub, nine times out of ten, he's getting it right. And, you know, this season, he's proven to be you know there he's and I think the main thing is, is he's got in a really good backroom staff one of the biggest things he probably could have done was getting in Kevin Nolan because we know obviously from Big Sam's time Kevin Nolan was always deemed as the ultimate captain and really worked well and he knows West Ham from his time from being here but also he just seems to connect with those players and there seems to be a real togetherness and you know you, you've got to commend Moyes for what he's done this year regardless of who you support, because to take a team from where they were, which was pretty much cannon fodder for any team, especially any team that attacked us, we were just, you know, dead in the water most games. Uh, So to where we are, you know, he's outright saved his reputation. He's proven to be 
a manager that isn't a dinosaur. It still has games where you sit there and you out of out of rage and out of you know how are we losing this game or whatever. You, sometimes there's the emotional he is a dinosaur, but ultimately he's done right by the club this year and he's done brilliantly. And you know, in January he made the choice not to get a striker and to take Lingard. You know, again we could look at that and say, well, maybe at the time it was he's gone for something he knows as opposed to you know, dipping his toe in for a striker when we probably needed one more because if you know you can't trust Antonio and he's a cheese string hamstrings. Uh, so you know, but but he did right. You know, he brought in Lingard, he knew what he could do, and you know, it really seemed the moment Lingard dropped into London and dropped into that team, he was just completely about football. And obviously, he's been you know, it's been really good what him coming out about, you know, mental health you know, problems that he's had and struggles he's had. And, you know, much what you said about um, Ali, where it seemed to be, you know, a bit like a YouTube player, a bit of, you know, an Instagram model. There was those conversations kept following around Lingard. And now, who talks about that? Everyone just talks about this guy who seems to be loving life, loving football and playing some brilliant stuff. And, and he has. It's been superb. It's a yeah, couple of do you think it'd be made permanent, another loan, or do you think United will go, oh, hang on? No, we'll get a loan because obviously United got a got a year, he's only got a year left at United. So we we would we'd love it to be permanent, but I think the finances have to be right, you know. Uh 25 million if he wasn't 29 and it wasn't the last year of his contract, or even up to 30 million, you'd probably say, Yeah, bang on, that's that's right after the season he's had. But when you look at he's 29 years old has a year left on his deal. Do we not just maybe try and get it for 20 million, which seems probably fairer as a price? Or do we look for a younger option like uh, Pereira, for instance, from West Brom, who's also had a brilliant season in a, in a struggling team, but he may be saved 5 million more, but then it's, well, it's that longevity of a signing. Mm. Arguably, could, will, will or could have the same contribution See, see, I think I think based on the fact that Moyes knows Lingard, you have to stick with Lingard, um, and you need experience, right? You know, we we do need to bring our average age down in our team because it is almost as bad. Well, we're the third oldest team in the Premier League, so <laughs> that's going to have to change at some point because you know that, that talent only goes in one direction once it gets to a certain age, so. You know, we do need to address that. But in the meantime, you know, bring in Ningar for that experience. And it's again, it's bringing in someone who's used to winning. That's, I think, the, the two most important signings we've done this season. And it's even more important than Lingard. Is firstly Suchek. Again, used to winning at Slavia. But the biggest transfer we did was five million quid on Vladimir Sufal. The guy is an absolute machine. He has the same assists as apparently the best right back in the Premier League, Trent Alexander-Arnold. So Trent Alexander-Arnold takes set pieces for Liverpool. He's deemed is in a very attacking team. And he has seven assists. We have Vladimir Sufal, first year in the Premier League, bought for five million quid, never played outside the Czech Republic. Also has seven assists this year. But Trent is the one talked about as one of the best right backs in the Premier League. He's English as well. You always yeah. Exactly. And he plays for Liverpool. So he's going to get talked about. But if you really look at it and boil it down, sometimes, the, you know, it doesn't actually kind of tell the whole story. You know, he, Sufal against Villa this year was 
immense. You know, I think at that time, Grealish was, he was mugging off everyone. <laughs> it didn't matter who he came up against. He was putting players on the floor and absolutely mugging them off. In that game, Soufal put him in his pocket, didn't let go of him for the whole game, to the point of he went off, Grealish went over to the other side, uh, to the, obviously to where Cresswell was, and obviously did set up a goal. But the, the thing that I love so much about him is one of his leadership and the fact that he wants to win is that he wants to win so much that when, uh, I think it was Fredericks, absolutely levelled Grealish, Fredericks goes in to kind of say, sorry, and pick him up. Sufa walks over and goes, don't. No. <laughs> like, basically, he's not West Ham. He's not your mate. He's your opponent. It's like that short, complete dead in a game. I go through you. You don't go through me. And it's you are my opponent. I'm going to battle you the whole game. Those kind of players just have such an impact. And him and Suchek have massively changed the attitudes in the West Ham's training because they come in or when, you know, when we're, when we're not playing or when we training's finished, they're doing extra time, you know, extra shifts and extra work. You know, that enthusiasm just brings others up a level. And, you know, Lingard obviously has been superb for our attack. And again, it's, a, it's another person who's used to winning. And that's what you need in teams. You need players that just don't, it's not necessarily that they don't like losing because I don't think any professional likes losing. But it's those players that just goes, I will win. You know, Harry Kane is a winner. As much as I hate to say it, as much as I hate to give him any kind of credit, and he's alluded to that in all these interviews recently where he's, you know, kind of put in the dagger and then he started twisting it on Tottenham. He is a winner and he's, he's making that very clear that, you know, when he looks around, there's not enough men in the team, you know? And I think that's what you need. Sometimes you need those players who stand up above the rest and, you know, drag them forward and drag them all together. Yeah. I'm sorry, that's massively long-winded there as well. <laughs> We'll edit all that out of it. <laughs> you just think, God, good. <laughs> I, I, I think with uh, uh, Soufal, I think Hoiberg is that for us, but I think he ran out of steam towards the end because he played so many games. And, and he's constantly chasing shadows the way that we play as well. But like, with Lingard, you know, loan, will he be there next season? We've got one of them, the one-time messiah, Gareth Bale. I... Uh, Potentially put, put the jinx on that by as soon as he was announced, pay, spending 90 quid on a shirt. But anyway, what do you think of, what, what do you, how do you think he's done? I, I don't think he was helped by playing for Mourinho because I don't think he's a Mourinho player. If that was Pochettino, he'd have played a lot more. But he's shown in glimpses of he's still got it. But do, do you think he'll be there? What, how do you think he did this season? And do you think he'll be there next season? I think at times he flattered to deceive. You know, when he, when he fancied it, he turned up, you know, against us when you guys were 2-0 um, down, he came on sorry, it was 1-0 down, sorry, I think when he came on actually, he came on and he changed the game, right, we really, really struggled to, to keep a hold of him and to keep a hold of Tottenham and we just about managed to see ourselves through to win that game but it's always been if he fancies it and I think the truth is he doesn't look like he has the desire anymore, he doesn't really care he's made his money, he prefers to play golf and, you know, there has been a joke from West Ham fans and some other fans as well, just saying he's just used Tottenham as a gym for a year and, uh, you know, taking a pretty penny, rocked up because I'm the Messiah, I'm loved. And he's not done what 
Gareth Bell should do. Gareth Bell should have dominated every game this year. Do you, you think know, he was completely match fit playing every game? Like we all thought kind of we would link. Because I, I read an unbelievable stat, and this is obviously due to how Kane and Son played most of the season, but Kane, Son and Bale are the, the, the trio of assists that have been involved in the most goal contributions in yeah. Premier League history. Obviously, a lot to do with that is because Kane scored the most and assisted the most. But... Gareth Bale, I reckon he, I should have had a look at the stat, but I reckon he scored about a good seven or eight goals in the league. Yeah, I think uh, statistically on uh, who scored the best front three in London is Son, Kane and Bale. So statistically, he's done brilliant. I personally, when I've watched him, I don't think his attitude's been there enough in games. I don't think he has pushed himself to do everything he could for Tottenham. He's played and he's he's worked hard in some games, but I don't think he's done it with enough regularity where had he pushed himself to the level he he is at, you know, you'd be talking about he'd have the same amount of goals and same amount of assists as Kane this year, for instance. You know, he is or was a truly world-class player in that top echelon where you say he's he's not obviously in that bracket where Ronaldo and Messi is, but he's in that you know, that one just underneath where, you know, had he keep pushing and say managed it at Real Madrid or had he come back to Tottenham and just blitzed the league, you would have gone, okay, maybe he's back, maybe his desire's there. But he just, I don't know, for me, he just looks like he plays football because he can enjoy, enjoys it and he's good at it. But I don't think he's given everything he could. I don't know, that's my personal perspective from the outside, obviously. I don't watch Tottenham as much as you, so you maybe see it differently, but he just looks like he's quite happy to go back to Madrid and play golf for another year and then retire. I think it would have been different if we'd have played every game. I think stop-start games, some players can do it. Like Torre Andre Flo at Chelsea could do it. He, he, he was much better of a player when he came on in games than when he started. But I mean, one player who uh, isn't going to be coming on or off a sub, we've already mentioned him, the best striker in the world, Timo Werner. No, that's wrong, isn't it? Harry Kane, Harry Kane. Uh, but, uh, you know, to, to get the most amount of goals, change his game, though, to become an assister and get the most of that is some doing. But yeah. uh, obviously now the, the rumour is that he wants to leave and everything like that. <laughs> I still don't think he will, potentially. I think Levy will make it very, very difficult for him to leave in terms of what money he demands. Where do you think, how do you think he's done this season and, and in terms of changing his game and... and adding those numbers and do you think he'll be at Spurs next season or if not, where? I think if he goes anywhere, I can only see him being at City. You know, uh, United would probably try and push the boat up, but I think they'd need to sell a number of players to get there and they're already looking at uh, Sancho as it is already. So, you know, they will have money. It's United. They always tend to have money. As much as people hate the Glaciers, they, they tend to have money, you know, they don't drop. You don't drop ninety million on a player in terms of Pogba and say that they, you know they don't ever spend. You know it's just it's just a falsehood. I haven't maybe spent as fans would thought. I thought they would, but they've also tried to go in a different direction and do a bit more of the, I guess the Ferguson thing of investing in these young players and developing them. But you know that's that's for United fans to talk about. But with when you look at teams that need players. You know, Man City is the obvious choice. They they need homegrown players anyway, as they always do, because they have quite a few foreign players in their team. But if they have a striker like Harry Kane, that in their mind is saying, 
you know, they've got the Champions League ringtone going all season, you know, and just saying the champions. Um, because they will just assume if you've got someone like Kane, he's going to bang in goals. And, you know, him and that team, you you would not be surprised if he banged in at 30 to 40 goals in a season just in the Premier League, you know, the amount of chances they create and the fact that he is so clinical. And it pains me that you've asked me this question because I've got to be nice about Kane. And I don't like being nice about Kane. Well, he, but he he, has, he's, your, he's your hero for the next month in the Euros. To be honest, mate, it's, it's England. I'm, I'm not too fussed about England, in all honesty. I'll watch it and it'll be nice if England win, but... You know, my love for watching England football has is, is, died a long time ago. It's now... I'll remind you of that. I'm a supporter, not a fan, shall we say. I'll remind you of that when we're, when we're in the final. I see you on Twitter, England shirt, England hat, England sunglasses, England tattoos. <laughs> yeah. Hey, just follow the glory. I don't get glory, so I have to follow it when I can. Um, but no, we'll go back to Kane. He, he's developed his game massively. You know, he's, he's probably how Tottenham have stayed where they've managed to stay in the league. If it hadn't been for Kane, I think really, if we're being brutally honest, Tottenham would have been a proper mid-table team. And I, when I say mid-table, I don't mean 10th. I mean 12. mid-table where you're starting for, you know, 13th up to say 10th because you just, does he, I think he scored about 50% of all of your goals this season or about, his goal contribution is something stupid. It's almost like 50% or something like that. You know, Son's a good player, but as you pointed out, if he's not getting service... Well, what is he going to do? He, he, he's not going to do it all on his own. He can score goals out of nothing, but you need to get the ball to that player. And Kane's been the one that's been able to do that for him and to do it for Bale. And, you know, he's been getting the service from those two guys as well. But I just don't... I, I see him being at Tottenham because it's David Levy. And I think Simon Jordan made a point. He... Levy sells when Levy gets what he wants. Uh, and regardless of whether he made a gentleman's agreement as it's you know, supposedly being reported or not, came that you know, this year, if, if, they, if you don't win anything, then yes, he can go. But that's a gentleman's agreement, right? It's, it's, not, in, it's not in stone. It's not, it's not written down anywhere. And if Levy doesn't get what he wants and doesn't get the money he wants, he isn't leaving. He's done the same with Bell. We've done it with Modric. So he, he doesn't mind upsetting your big player. And Kane's not, not going to play because he's going to want to earn his, his move the following year or the year after. He's also a Spurs fan, so he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't do a Berbatov and refuse to play. Yeah, I don't think he'll refuse to play. He wouldn't really care about Tottenham because he wasn't a Tottenham fan. Yeah, I think he may hand in his transfer notice if it, if it helps and it helps push it through. Um, but again, it all comes down to if Levy doesn't get what Levy wants, I don't see... I just don't see him going. But the problem is I don't... Obviously, he looked fairly motivated in the last game of the season, but that could be because he was just angered at the fact that things are getting protracted and he's maybe not having the conversations that he's hoping to have, you know, with Levy uh, in a positive way. But, yeah, I, I it wouldn't surprise me if he's at Tottenham next year because I just struggle to see Levy, one, getting what he wants, and two really being a man of his word and actually doing right by Harry Kane. And I think that's the problem. He, Levy, quite rightly, looks at it as a business and that's his, you know, his most marketable, uh, his best product, so to speak. And why would he sell that to the bitter rival so they can have all of the benefits and all he gets is 
a massive lump sum and he has to try and now go to the market in which to find that product again because you know the fact you're in a conference let's face it who are you actually going to attract i know it sounds really harsh but who are you going to attract in the same caliber yeah. as fail unless you're going to look to restructure your team to try and build a, a fully competitive team that's going to you know attack and do all of this stuff is you know you're not going to get harland quite simply but i don't think anyone is anyway i but, think he's an interesting one because he becomes available even let's say 50 million pounds more than whatever Kane is he's eight years younger so you get you mentioned with lingard there and uh Pereira, i think you get the longevity with Haaland. They're, they're both going to score half-balls of goals if they go to a top team. But, I mean, my ideal scenario, I saw someone put it on Twitter for Harry Kane. He's loaned into City for a year, gets a trophy out of his system, comes back, doesn't have to win it. <laughs> Never happened, though, but he... he can no, I think, I think once he gets a taste, Chris, he's going to want it a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he had a chance to win a trophy, the League Cup. I mean... I don't know about you, I was absolutely shocked with the, the timing of the Mourinho firing. And it wouldn't surprise me if the rumours yeah. are true that if Mourinho won the trophy, sacking him would have cost double the money. But Yeah, oh yeah, apparently there was, was structure. Your, yeah, what was your uh, thoughts about it? Because this is the man, the only man in history to have beaten Pep Guardiola in a cup final <laughs> six days before we yeah. are in a cup final against said manager. And we replace him with someone who's younger than most of the people that I know. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> and who has managed the same amount of games, one game more than I have in my life, one. <laughs> uh, the, the, the timing of it was absolutely... And, and Mourinho was bought, bought in to win a trophy. The first yeah. chance he gets, he gets fired. So I don't understand the entire point of getting him in. Yeah, it seems like, because uh, obviously there were rumours that he refused to send the, the team out to train after the the uh, Europa League, or the, um, sorry, Super League um, suggestion. Obviously, I know they got battered apart, you know, said that it wasn't true, but, you know, there's, sometimes there's no smoke without fire and there's probably some sort of pushback, because let's face it, the European Champions League, or the Champions League to Mourinho is what made his name. And he has quite an affiliation with that trophy. Um, so you can imagine there were some ill feelings there, and obviously he didn't get on, didn't get on with a lot of the players. Obviously, he seemed to get on with Harry Kane, but I think he put a lot of players' backs up because he demanded that you know, for lack of a better word, he asked them to act like men, which I hate using that term. But he basically asked them to essentially take ownership of themselves in games and to try and dominate games and to essentially take. Uh, charge of, of situations which many didn't they seem to cower and go a bit within themselves uh, so I think that some of those things didn't help so if you did do obviously that you know we're uh, we're not going to play in the Champions League or you know, we're not going up to train then obviously that would have a factor but I'm not sure I think it probably was a bit of sensationalism um, and it probably didn't happen you know, there probably were some crossed words because obviously players didn't know, managers didn't know that this was all happening and it was all a bit cloak and dagger. But I kind of think, you know, to sack him before a final when you've got a perpetual winner. Now, regardless of what's happened throughout your season, you know, it hasn't been great, but the guy knows how to win trophies. Now, 
would you have won it with Mourinho? I don't know. You might have won it. Probably wouldn't because your form wasn't as good as it could have been at that point. But the guy knows how to win. So he would instill a certain kind of mentality in the players during that game. But to do it the day, you know, when they did it just seemed moronic. And it just seems that it was done for money. The money was the driver because if he wins, as you say, it would have potentially double. I remember seeing something somewhere that based on your league position, if you're in certain positions, then you could actually sack him for, you know, X as opposed to Y. So where you were in the league meant, well, actually, if we sack him now, it's going to cost us a lot less. Yeah, I, I think that's what it was. And it's just, why bring him in? You brought him in to win a trophy. First chance he gets, you get rid of him. But I mean, our season next season is going to depend on a lot of things. Who the new manager is, whether Kane stays, and regardless of whether Kane stays, who we bring in, who we ship out. But in terms of your season, how do you think you'll get on? Because obviously the expectations yeah. have <laughs> obviously increased. You're going to have more games because you'll be in the Europa League. How, how do you think you're... And fans will be back as well. Um, so that, that, you know... How do you think you'll get on next year? Um, and, and, of course, you might make Lingard permanent. You might get other people in. But how do you see next season going with all those different factors in play? Most prominently, the extra games and the what has to be increased expectation. Yeah, I think, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, our season relies on what happens this summer. You know, we're probably already four players short. We think we have around about 20 first team players give or take probably less more be about 18 first team players currently in the squad plus obviously three goalkeepers um so if we we're already probably lacking three or four players as it is anyway and then if we're looking to sell players then we're going to have to replace those so we potentially could be looking at needing six maybe even eight players just to come in this window so that's quite a bit to integrate anyway then you obviously have the extra game so and the travel. Now, if Moyes doesn't rotate very often, like he's at times he hasn't done this year, then I think we are going to run the point of we have a habitual habit of having injuries left, right, and center throughout seasons. Now, with extra games, it's only just going to happen. And again, with an aging squad, those injuries take longer to heal, those injuries become a lot more uh, kind of could seem to be a lot more often because obviously just wear and tear, you know, of just playing extra games. So it could be a really tough season for us next year. Now, we may do what Wolves did a couple of seasons back where they had a similar situation where they had a very small squad, but they managed to keep the injuries away and they managed to do quite well in the league and obviously do well in Europa League. But subsequently, the, the following season is where you know, the crash came because all of that football is going to catch up with you at some point. So it could be a real tough year next year. I, I My hope really is we compete again for, you know, around eight. No, I, I don't think we're going to be have a season we've had this year. I, I genuinely don't think that's going to happen. I think next year, even because of COVID, even with all the money, you're going to see a little bit more regularity of you know the league, Liverpool will be back where they are most likely. Obviously, United and City are only going to improve. Chelsea likely again are going to improve. Uh, you know, if you look at rumours, Arsenal are already looking to make some moves to improve. But again, I think there's some fundamental flaws in Arsenal at the moment, which is why they're doing what they're doing. 
but it's going to be a tough year because everyone is going to improve their squads. Everyone's going to be know a bit more how to play against us. You know, if you sit in, you're going to make us struggle. And then our only option is to do a stoke and to try and score from a set piece, right? <laughs> so it's going to be tough. And it's going to be really tough next year. Uh, our, my genuine hope is we compete for top eight. We have a good showing in Europa. Obviously, if we don't get out of Europa League group stage, then also I think we drop down into the conference as long as we finish third. Yeah, you can play out again, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a tough season because there's a lot of games because obviously we have the cup kit as well. So, it's, it's Moyes is going to need to be a lot more flexible with his selection. And I think that's where maybe we could fall short if uh, maybe the Premier League selection isn't as consistent as it has been this year. I think that's where we could struggle. But it's going to be a hard year. I, I'm under no, uh, no delusions. I think it's going to be a tough year and if we finish within the top 10, it sounds slightly defeatist, but I think that's that's good because at the moment we just need that consistency of being in that top half of the league, building on the, the core that we have and in seeing what can happen. You know, there's no reason why we can't necessarily repeat aspects of this year. I mean, there's no reason why we can't repeat this year, but that's a huge toll to do what we have done when we've had a season where people have had a, a year to kind of suss out potentially how to play against us yeah i i, I think you, you won't finish anywhere else, uh... sorry chris just have to put some lights on oh you're back dark in it. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think you'll finish anywhere near where you were today uh, not anywhere near uh, where you were this year but i don't think you'll be in trouble whereas whereas us i think it's impossible to tell how we'll do because we need to know who the manager is who the players are coming in, and come the start of the season, who the bloody hell our striker is. So, and, and even then, I don't think, with the Harry Kane situation, if he's still there, you can really tell how we're going to do until oh, when it's like the 1st of September, whenever that transfer window shuts. Because then, And then even then, January opens, he could be gone then. So I, yeah. I think it's a real strange season. Uh, well, strange time for us at the moment with, the, with the, who's a new manager going to be and then, you know, who are they going to bring in and everything like this. But yeah, so yeah, it's kind it of be, uh, to say how we'll do. It could be a, a massive transitional season for Tottenham. Um, you know, you could see you having a season very similar to what Arsenal had for the past two years, to be honest, especially if you lose Kane. And, you know, this talks about uh, Roberto Martinez, Coming in as your I manager. Think I'll go and support my local six dog and duck down the road if he gets in. He's just absolutely terrible, Roberto Martinez. I, I think if you, you know, with your defence as it is, you don't strengthen and you have a manager like Roberto Martinez, I think you could have teams that could pick you off because he's quite open and expansive. The issue that I've got with him as well is he's got possibly the best Belgian team in their history <laughs> De Bruyne, Hazard, Lukaku. Out of build, Batonga in their prime, Dembele. He never gets past the quarter final. He should be he should be getting into finals and winning stuff for that team. Yeah, um, but then you could argue, you know, you know, if we turn on his head and devil's advocate, look at the Spain year, the Spain team over the years, and you know that hadn't won it, and then the team that did win it, you know, obviously that team obviously had a lot of Barcelona, a lot of Barcelona influence, and obviously at that time that was the best team in the world, Barcelona. So it helped with Spain, but Spain over the years have had a team you know, equivalent to this current Belgium crop and, and not won it. So 
not necessarily always down to the manager. Sometimes it's the mentality of the players and just have a mental block in, in those games and, and not being able to to win. Yeah, I, I don't I don't want Martinez. My, my my pick would be Potter, and that's basically because of what Ben said that like you said earlier, if they'd have had a good striker, they'd be pushing for European qualification. Well, they they play a really good, you know. Brighton just I think they've conceded only uh, only you know sorry only Man City have conceded less goals than them this season, which is phenomenal when you think of where they are in the league. You would expect that they're conceding goals left, right, and centre. Might just been from open play, but either way, it's still quite a you know good start in that they've not they just don't really concede. The problem is they don't score. Yeah, and they create chance after chance after chance. I think yeah, their expected goals is is ridiculous. I think most games there. <laughs> Is is a brilliant stat, you know. They win every game by expected goals, um, but <laughs> in actuality, they just they lose quite often because they can't score. And so, you know, Potter is clearly a decent manager, and he's made players like Basuma a better player. But you know, you you think if he's got better players, he probably will replicate what he's doing now, and probably get more results because it's. They are quite a decent team going forward and they're very strong and structured in defence. So it would be interesting to see what he does at a, at a larger club with you know better players. Uh, whether he'd be a success, that's another question because some managers, you know, they, they all intents and purposes look like they'll suit a bigger club, but they go there and it just doesn't work. But, you know, I'm surprised as well, Eddie Howe's not been part of the conversation, but I suppose he's had a year out after what happened with Bournemouth. And, you know, he's more into kind of talks with uh, Crystal Palace. But, you know, Eddie Hell seems very much like a Tottenham manager in terms of what Pochettino did. Brought through a lot of youth players. Likes to play a good attack in football. But obviously, his relegation is obviously a bit of a, a black mark that yeah. Spurs don't want to look at. Well, I'm not necessarily bothered about that. But I think the issue for a lot of Spurs fans is you go from Mourinho to someone who's not hit near that level. But I don't think the established managers... Have worked that well. You look at Mourinho, obviously, yep. uh, Ramos, although I did feel sorry for Ramos because he won the League Cup and then Levy sold all of his strikers and then wondered why we couldn't score goals. But Santini was established, whereas our best ones in the Premier League era are ones that don't really have a reputation. The Martignols. Uh, Medknapp had a reputation, but his reputation was like a, a, a avoid relegation specialist rather than near the top. And then Pochettino. Hey, 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 we had that year where we finished fifth but then he got the sack because he demanded money. But, you know, we finished fifth with old Harry when he brought through that great crop of youngsters. Yeah. But then after that, it was all about relegating. And then Pochettino, I didn't fancy Pochettino at the start. I love him now. But, <laughs> um, so I think someone, not at the higher echelon, and the higher echelon ones are managers, whereas Pochettino, Eddie Howe, you mentioned there, uh, Moyes, they're coaches, Potter as well, yep. they're coaches, so they make people better, whereas Mourinho, for example, needs the players already made in, so he doesn't have to yeah, coach I think the tactics that the someone, and like that. And tweet. Someone defined uh, Mourinho to me perfectly before, that Mourinho looks at players as chess pieces, That's so he just moves them in and out. Yeah. He's willing to sacrifice certain players so that he can then ultimately win, and that's it. He doesn't doesn't have that emotion to it it's that if I need to sacrifice this player such as say Deli Ali, I'll do that I don't care what it does to my team because if it gets me that win that's all that matters at the end of the day is I win that's what matters your feelings uh, and how you feel as a player isn't irrelevant 
And, you know, he kept making that point is same manager, different players, which is, you know, is a fact. He is the same manager and they are different players. But, you know, if you dig a bit deeper into it, then, you know, he is probably having a dig at the mentality of some, not being to the level that he he's used to. But again, as you say, I think sometimes you can take managers and they work. You know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer isn't a great manager, but as someone said before, United don't need a great manager. They just need a United manager. They need someone who knows United, what Man United is. Because if you know that and you have the right team behind you, you can then slowly build and then become a good manager. You know, and that's what kind of our Ollie has done. For Spurs, I think it would be wrong if you went for another, you know, trying to get another name in because I just don't think at the moment you're not going to have the pull with one, your debt, because you're probably not going to have the finances to really go at a window unless you sell some players. Yeah. And also, you've done, like you say, with Marini, um, with uh, Pochettino, you've done better when you've had someone who's been not necessarily unknown, but you've had someone who's had to work his way up and earn his stripes and is someone that's going to kind of work with what they have and then look to bring in what they can. I, I don't think that works for Mourinho. He, I think he needs players who are ready coached for whatever positions yep. that he wants. Whereas Pochettino, I mean, Sissoko was awful and he made him into one of our regular starters just by coaching. Well, look at Harry Kane. Similar to Moyes, obviously you've mentioned a few players that got brought in, but so many of your players have improved under him, certainly yep. this season. And that's, I mean, obviously confidence plays a big part and, and who you're playing with, but a lot of that is coaching. Yeah, well, you just look at what Pochettino did with Kane. You know, Kane was on the verge of being sold, you know, prior to Pochettino coming in because yeah. he was, people didn't think he was going to work and you nearly sold him for, I think, like, even like two million quid, which we're going to sell him for pittance. And then he came in and started playing him in the League Cup. I think, sorry, um, the uh, Europa League. I think he was playing him against Ad ahead of Adebayor at the time, who was playing fairly well. And then all of a sudden, you know, he developed and coached this kid into well, what you have now. So Mourinho, if, we, if we're being brutal, Mourinho probably would not have done that no. because he, you can just look at his history. He's not really brought through youth and developed them, right? So would he have done the same with Kane? Probably not. Uh, so, you know, would have you had Kane or Kane even had the career had you not gone for Pochettino? It would be it's a, it's a kind of an interesting way of looking at things as well. Yeah, I, I agree. And yeah, I'd be really interested in who our next manager is, but I definitely think it needs to be someone who's a coach rather than a manager. But yeah, there we are. Yeah, I'm surprised, you know, obviously I think Potter would probably actually would probably be right for Tottenham. Obviously, I think one of the other ones that's talked about is Parker as well because of his affiliation with Tottenham. Too early for him, I think. Same with Mason, then, too early. Yeah, and it's it's one of those ones, I think Parker has the mentality to do it, but it could be a bit of a Frank Lampard situation. You might have one good season and a good bounce because he's known, he's liked, and there's maybe more, uh, not necessarily trust, but there's a little bit more leeway given by fans because of his relationship with the club. But then after that, that that year, it's the expectations come and then the you know expectation to to do more. Yeah, I think so. I think it's too early for him, but it'll be interesting who we get and you know how next season goes. Uh, yeah, unfortunately we yeah. run out of time. Uh, 
I'm not, not sure how long we've been talking here, but they, I mean, we've been talking for over an hour and then we could still talk for another two. I mean, there's so much to talk about. Uh, so definitely come back on. Certainly uh, when the transfer windows fully in swing, players have moved and all that, and then we can have a bit more gauge of how we'll do next season. Um, yeah, so definitely have you back on. I think you'll see me grey at the end of the transfer window, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a care package of hair then, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excellent, I'll hold you to that. Um, yeah, if you, uh, Mike's on Twitter, if you don't know him on there or, or follow him, uh, where can people find you? Oh yeah, that's, that's a very good point, Chris, well, well, well said. Uh, yeah, so my own personal Twitter, and to be honest, if you don't want to hear about West Ham, probably not one to follow, but that one's uh, mhair641. But uh, I sometimes do some scout reports and these are on any player from any league, which I need to get back onto. But if you want to kind of check that one out, that one's at scouting underscore BTL. And uh, yes, yeah, so I'll be doing a lot of scout reports over the summer because I'm sad. <laughs> well, send them to Levy for us, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll make sure I find some right buttes for you then. <laughs> Adiak in by, he's retired. No, he's wonderful. <laughs> no, I, I hear George Way has got a cousin. He's uh, apparently mustard. <laughs> yeah. In all seriousness, give him a follow. If you want anyone scouting or know anything about a player, then uh, tweet him at that scout in a, a Twitter handle. Uh, and yeah, he'll get back to you. Well, he might not get back to you if you're a Spurs fan. But, you know, <laughs> no, I, I tend to, and on the scout one, uh, it's, it's, it's something for everyone. It's not just for, for West Ham fans. It's, it's something for for everyone and, and, and all players really. Yeah, you you got his Twitter handle there. If you want anyone scouted or know anything about player, then uh, tweet that. But uh, again, thanks so much for coming on. Been great yeah, having mate. you on, and uh, yeah, come back on soon. Awesome, mate. Catch you later. Thanks so much for watching. Before you go, please make sure you give the like and subscribe buttons a click. Any questions, comments, or any suggestions for future episodes, if you just add those into a comment on the YouTube video. If you're listening to the audio-only podcast, thanks so much for listening. Anyone who wants the audio-only podcast, you can get that at Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your audio podcast from. Alternatively, if you go to Twitter, at LTalkTottenham, you can find all the information there. I'll be back soon. Until then, come on, you Spurs!